0: Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20-minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call and we can take it from there. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Beverly Glick. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much,
0: Amy. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. And I know that I say that almost every time, but this is a genuine <laughs> excitement. <laughs> so, what is it that you're focusing on at the moment, Beverly?
1: My current focus is on my book, which I started writing, like so many people wrote books during lockdown, and I was one of those people. And I've got to the point now, which is a very exciting point, which is handed in my final draft and the title has just been confirmed and i'm currently looking at book cover designs so the title of the book is in your own words unlock the power of your life stories to influence inspire and build
0: trust wow say that again because i want i just want to hear that again
1: <laughs> it's called in your own words Unlock the power of your life stories to influence, inspire and build
0: trust. Now, influence, inspire and build trust. Why is that important to you?
1: Well, influencing, I think, is important primarily for the business audience that I'm aiming at. I'm also, apart from being a, a writer and author an editor, I am a leadership communications coach and trainer. and Influencing is such a big thing in, in business at the moment, and my theory is that you can use stories from your own life to influence whoever you want to influence in order to build trust and connection. Inspire, it's, it's a. I think it's a kind of misunderstood word, <laughs> inspire. I think some people, particularly in business, back off inspiring inspiration. But again, I think it's a really important consideration when you're in business, as well as in other forms of mentoring and just in life in general. You know, anyone can inspire anybody else. So and what I'm proposing in the book is that you can inspire others by sharing your own story. And build trust simply builds on all of that, which is storytelling, especially in my view, personal storytelling is the quickest way to build trust with another human being.
0: I get it. I'm writing a book. Uh, I understand this connection with the the listener, the reader from a podcast perspective as well. And what in, interests me is that word inspire that you, you said could be misunderstood and that people back off from it in business. Is that because it's, it doesn't produce tangible results that people can identify?
1: Yes, I think you've got that nailed, actually, I think. Uh, There's this perception in the business world, in my experience, that there are certain words or terms that are considered to be a bit woo-woo or a bit fluffy, and inspire is one of them. And even though I think a lot of people in corporate life will be quite happy to be told that they are inspiring, it's, it's a word that they're sort of a little bit uncomfortable with at times and don't maybe fully embrace as much as a word like influencing. And this kind of circles back to my fascination with words and language and the impact that they can have. And what the book outlines is a process that the reader can use to identify the words from their own lives at different stages of their life, from childhood all the way through to where they are now, that have had a significant impact on them. And particularly words that are still inhabiting their consciousness, that are impacting their behavior, their leadership, their attitude to life and their beliefs. And to to really examine those words and, and figure out what's the story I'm telling about these words right now and how are they influencing me? And also, how can I use these words to inspire others by telling those stories and sharing them?
0: Now I share your fascination with words and language it's definitely been at the core of who I am finding out the etymology of words to understand their original meaning and then also how their their use can be moved so far away from that original meaning and you, you were talking about how words can inhabit your unconsciousness, and and you're talking about this, this discomfort or how people feel uncomfortable with with the use of some words or or the way that they are perceived in business. What is this facade that people are keeping up or or needing to have within the business world, where they feel the the need to push away anything that's woo woo or fluffy?
1: I think it's a general discomfort with the intangible side of life. As you say, there's so much emphasis on pragmatism and results and goals um, and data. Um, And I I think that, you know, in my experience of being a a storytelling coach and trainer, people are even uncomfortable with word storytelling. (laughs) because they associate it with bedtime stories or childhood or fiction. And that's totally understandable. So I remember working with one one um, guy who worked for a pharmaceutical company who, who said to me quite flatly, I don't tell stories because it undermines my research. And of course, I challenged him on that by saying, well, how can a general audience understand what you've discovered in your research unless you tell a story about it? And tell people what it means. So I think sometimes there's even a misunderstanding of the word storytelling, which I do address in the book. Um, so I think there's a there's this sort of clutch of terms that that people in the business world tend to get a little bit uncomfortable with because I think a lot of the time they're just trying to be the best professional person that they can be. And I think it's a challenge for some some people to bring their personal story into the professional realm so some of what I'm advocating is you can share personal stories it's up to you what you share you don't have to reveal everything about yourself but take ownership of your narrative bring it into your whole life not just your business your business life and your personal life should not have a dividing line and i think a lot of the a lot of those barriers have been broken down now with uh, after the pandemic and with hybrid working and and people having to be on screen and show where they live and having children in the background and that's that's that started to break down some of these barriers so i'm seeing that there has been a shift and certainly the training company that i work for ginger leadership communications are seeing a re- increased demand in for storytelling training now so i mean that's I've been talking about the power of storytelling for many years now, and it's really only been in the last couple of years, two or three years maybe, that it's really infiltrated the business world. And they're seeing that, oh yeah, actually, this is something that I need to be good at. It's a skill that I need to master. It's a very powerful way of connecting with people emotionally that can be done in business context. I think the way that I write about it, it's done in, in a quite structured way so that you are always in control of what you share. Um, this is not my original quote, but I always use it. Always tell a story from your scars, not your wounds. Nobody wants to hear a story that's still like so painful for you that you can barely tell it without breaking down. That's, that's not good for you and it's, not, it's uncomfortable for an audience. So, only tell a story when you've reflected on it, you've been through whatever the experiences you're talking about, you've been through it, you've got a different perspective on it now, and you can extract the wisdom from that story and and share the lesson that you've learned. So, that's the type of personal storytelling that, um, that I advocate.
0: And that's the same with a lot of people who come on the show and talk about their purpose that there has been an event or a situation or some kind of trauma that has acted as a catalyst to their lived purpose going forward in, into how they are building that purposeful life and absolutely you know they're in a position where they're now speaking from uh, a position of safety of of comfort with their experiences and definitely from the, from the scars not the wounds and it's the same for professional speaking you don't go and stay on stage and you don't share from that place either tell me the the reflection with action and uh, the reflection and then this wisdom that you have I love that because I talk about that in what on my <laughs> show uh, but it's such a powerful way how do you reflect and then act what do, do you have a process for that
1: the way that I do it, and I mention this in the book, is that I write a story about it. And I don't just write a story about what happened as I remember it. And there's a whole other conversation that you could have about memory and how we remember things and whether we remember things accurately. So at the end of the day, we only have our edited reality. We only have what we've, the story that we tell about the memory. Um, so there's that. But I also write the story of what, of what could have happened but didn't. I'll give you an example. So one of, those, the, one of the, the hardest, most painful moments of my life happened when I was 16. Uh, I was just about to sit in my O-levels and my dad had a stroke. He was only 46 and it was a catastrophic stroke. He was partly paralysed and, and brain damaged. And the fact that it happened at that time in my life, you know, on the cusp of womanhood, it was, it just completely changed my whole life and how I was within myself. Uh, And I write about this a lot in the book, but I did actually write the story of what might have happened if he hadn't had the stroke. And What I discovered was so interesting because in my fictional version of what happened if he just lived a normal life and this didn't happen, was that my life turned out to be much less interesting. And I would have been a lot more sheltered and I wouldn't have gone out into the world as much or taken as many opportunities as I did. And if you if you do that, it's just like it's kind of mind blowing. It's like, wow. I've been telling myself this story all these years that kind of a bit poor me, you know, why did this happen to me? It's not fair. Why did it happen to him? And and then it's all like, well hang on a minute, just look at the life you've led. What what if that was meant to happen? I know, yeah, it was painful. We all have painful experiences. But when I was writing the book, um and as I said, I've I've reflected an awful lot on this story of my dad. But as I was As I was pausing to reflect for the reader and thinking about the impact this had on me, I actually had an insight that I'd never had before. And I want to read it to you because it was just so powerful when it it came to me. So my dad's stroke severely affected his ability to communicate. I can make the case for this being one reason why I'm passionate about clarity of communication and self-expression and I have been ever since I wrote my first article for publication, and maybe even before that. I'm only realising this as I'm writing 50 years after my inciting incident. It's the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Wow. The gift that keeps on giving, this insight that you had and the clarity around this Need for or not need, but a desire to have effective communication and the ability to have self-expression, as you say. When you when you not aware that you don't have that, you're not aware that it's missing. You know, it's only when it's taken away and you see that, do you see what a a gift that is to have the ability to be able to communicate uh, with clarity. And going back to the trauma that you had. And I've spoken about trauma with Dr. Susanna Pecci in, in episode 366, and it's, it's so powerful. And we, and we talked about how a lot of people in the personal development space call it a gift, a particular trauma. And she said, absolutely not. It's definitely not a gift. I would never choose to call it that. And, I, and I, as I said earlier, it's a catalyst. It is something that then has a shift, a profound shift in your course of life that then sets you on this life of choice but also of awareness you know it's a really enlightened moment and as you said it's hard you know the sliding doors moment you would you don't know what the alternative reality is you just know that the reality that you have that you're living right now uh, is what you're what you are experiencing and it it is fascinating that something from 50 years is still having an impact not only for you, but that you're, you're taking that in and, and, and putting it down on paper so that it also becomes impact with legacy as well.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, legacy is really important to me as well. Uh, I mean, just to cover off what you said about trauma, yeah, I would never say that the trauma was a gift, but I think the, it was the insight that was the gift rather than the trauma. Yeah. So it's that, that, the act of reflecting back something that happened 50 years ago the fact that I can still have a fresh insight about it even now was what the gift was for me um if I could choose not to have that trauma I'm sure I would have chosen not to have it do you know what I mean so i I totally accept um accept that uh, that observation um but it, it it really gave me a chill when I, when I had that realization and I think for me that's the beauty of stories because they, they they they're not set in stone they never are they're always they're living things that the they don't just sit there and that's the only story you ever tell every time we share a story about something that's happened to us whether it's yesterday or 50 years ago we're going to tell it slightly differently according to how we're feeling about ourselves where we are in our lives um and that's that's the fascination for me um, because we are storytelling animal animals, as the author Jonathan Gottschall said, so we we understand the world in story form. That's the only way we can make sense of the world and our experiences. We cannot not tell stories.
0: You mentioned legacy was important to you. Share a bit more about that.
1: It's it's uh, a lot of that is to do with my age. I am sixty six and uh the culture tells me i should be retiring <laughs> although that's not really in my consciousness but what is in my consciousness is what i want to do with the rest of my working life and um so publishing this book was a really important piece of that legacy um i've been a i've been a writer for 43 years now or maybe longer and I I had written a short book that that's available on Amazon. It's it was just something that I published myself. I I thought no, I have I have to be able to actually publish a book properly, and you know if I if I go tomorrow, it will be there and the story will live on. So that was the important piece for me of of a legacy, and of course the, the older you get the more people you lose and, and you become so aware that you lose friends and family and they only live on through the stories that you tell about them. And um, I didn't want to rely on social media being the only thing out there that told my story. So that's why I made the decision to, to write about aspects of my life that I've never shared before. And I struggled with that because I, I I didn't want to make it all about me. And I hear this so many so many times when I'm working with people on their stories. Like, well I don't I don't want to make it all about me. I I I why would anybody be interested in my story? And I always say to them, there's no such thing as an ordinary life. We all have an extraordinary story to share. So then I had to I had to walk the walks. <laughs> you know, okay, if I'm telling other people to do that, I have to have the courage to do this myself and trust that people will be interested enough to read my story and that they can learn from the way I've told it whilst also appreciating my story. And my hope is that that readers will be able to find themselves somewhere in my story. And that's the connection that I'll have with them even after I've gone. So that's, that's why legacy is important to me now. Also, I don't have children. So, you know, I don't really want to start calling the book my baby, but it's, it's that sense of this is a
0: creative act that I'm putting out into the world. And I just want to touch on that, that you're hoping that people will find themselves somewhere in the story. Is that on a sort of existential level, or that they will relate to what you're sharing, or or both.
1: I think a bit of both. You know, not not everybody will have been a music journalist and and uh, interviewed Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran and and in the early '80s, and not everybody will have um, become a fetish model, for example. So, but I think that there will be there will be elements of my story. That are universal, and and this is one of my guiding principles: that the the personal is the most universal. I think it was Carl Rogers that said that, psychotherapist. So the more, more personal the story, the more universal it becomes.
0: I love that. And I'm wondering how you chose which stories to put in, which stories to leave out, and whether there has difficulty in in the selection of what you've shared
1: i followed a, a very intuitive process when i was choosing the words that i was going to write about and it was almost self-selecting okay so these not all of the words that have ever had an impact on me but these are the ones that are top of mind so i'm going to write about those so inevitably it's an edited version there's lots of other things that I could have written about that I haven't so there's a certain amount of curation and again I talk about this in the book you curate your own collection of stories you don't have to tell people everything there are certain experiences that I have not written written about and I don't know if I ever will so but I have written about experiences that many people will share like Getting divorced, for example, um, about getting married and divorced, uh, and, and that, oh, those kind of life experiences that m- many people will have. Um, I think the beauty of it is that everybody that I've spoken to about it has immediately started thinking what their own words would be. Mm. So even if they don't resonate with my story, they will resonate with the idea of. Oh, you know, what are my childhood words? What what are those words? You know, oh, I know what one of mine might be. And it's, it's quite an emotional journey that you go on. Thinking all the way back to the words that impacted you and maybe still are from your childhood. One of my childhood words is shy. I probably until not that long ago would have described myself as a shy child. But what I write about that word is actually it was a really limiting label for me. To perceive myself as shy and being being told I was shy was not helpful. And it was only years later when I understood what an introvert was that I could reframe that experience and think, well, oh, no, hang on a minute. Every time a school report said Beverly doesn't put her hand up in class, Beverly doesn't take part in class discussions. It was it wasn't that I was faulty or um, less intelligent, it's because I was an introvert. So I talk about words as being um, unhelpful labels or words that are carelessly weaponized.
0: And what other words have you included in the book?
1: I'm thinking about, uh, so that's one of my childhood words. Uh, my, I mean, the, the the one word I've, the way I describe it is the one word that rules them all is stroke which I've already talked about and uh, from my adult life I've I've written about uh, being an editor uh, being a writer and just the interesting choice there that I chose writer rather than journalist even though I'm very proud of having been a journalist for many years Uh, As I said, I started out as a music journalist and then went on to work for a number of national newspapers. So it's interesting, the selections that I made. Uh, I also wrote about the, it's it's more of a a term than a word, but neuromantic, because I was the first person to coin that term and have it appear in print. And interestingly enough, Somebody posted, posted on Twitter today the article, which had that as a headline, which was the first ever interview with Bandai Ballet that was published 43 years ago today.
0: <laughs> I believe the timing.
1: So that's another one I, I write about. Um, I write about intuition, precision, soul. I write about um, fetish. Dominatrix. So some, some really quite adult words. And um, when I when I reach the end, which is when I talk about wise words, I have solitude, grief, unspoken, but also spoken. Clarity, contentment surrender and god
0: incredible collection of words and my my mind instantly sort of sees these as as key pivotal moments in your life almost so it's almost like this is a an autobiography yeah the, the words sort of punctuating each of these key moments
1: Yes, that's right. I mean, you could definitely use this process if you wanted to write a memoir. Although I was very keen not to make it a book about memoir writing because that's a completely different thing. But you could definitely use this to help you access the stories. So yeah, it is. It it is autobiographical for sure, Uh, but it's not the whole story. Um, But one of the things that I do at the end of the book is that I, I actually share what I call a whole life narrative. So using the words. I actually told a whole story and shared that at the end of the book and showed the reader how they could do that too, using the key markers in a story structure, like the inciting incident, the uh, progressive complications, um, uh, and other pivotal moments going towards resolution. And so my, my suggestion is that no matter where you are in your life, you can find a whole story cycle. and even if it's obviously everyone's alive, so it's the story so far, you can all you can see where, the, where a loop resolution is or has been or might be. And if you don't feel you've reached a resolution yet in your one particular story cycle, how would you like to get there? What do you think the resolution might be? And take, as I say, again, taking ownership of the story.
0: Now, this taking ownership, you mentioned at the beginning about control and, and wanting to be in control and, and being in control of what you're saying. How much is that a dominating feature for you to, to remain in control when writing or to have some inhibi- inhibitions or, or allow your intuition to take over?
1: I think that I think I allow my intuition to take over but in in a kind of contained way if that makes sense. So I'm always very careful not to overshare. Um, but I I have used the, the my writing process is quite often just the kind of stream of consciousness writing. So I would take a word and I would just keep, I would just start writing and and I wouldn't stop for a few minutes and that's that's the process that i recommend in the book for everyone to use just to write without editing and see what comes out obviously i've not used absolutely all of it so it's not like i've shared the stream of consciousness in the in the book um but that's what i've used as my material to then come up with a a more concise entry and because my suggestion is that what you're doing is you're creating a, a life dictionary and you can obviously, you can add to that whenever you want to. Um, I don't know, I, it's an interesting question. It's like, how would I have approached it if I'd just completely gone with my intuition? And I think that speaks to my personality because I'm, I, I am very intuitive, but I'm also very structured. So I think bringing those two together is what I've done in the book, you know, by creating this process. It provides, hopefully, it will provide a container for the reader, because quite often people don't really know where to start with storytelling, especially if it's about themselves. They don't know where to start. They don't know where to look. So my my theory, which I hope is is going to work for people, is that they if they use this process of these significant words, that will give them a gateway to access their stories in in a in a way that's that's easy for so it's easy for them to focus on uh, what what's most meaningful to them
0: and talking about what's most meaningful how does the purpose wrap into your work
1: well this is actually something that obviously I've, I've thought about this over the years and I think it's probably changed over the years you know I I think when I was thinking about it the other day, I thought, "Well, what's my what's the absolute highest level of, of this beyond helping people tell their stories and helping people connect with other people through their stories?" Uh, I th- I think it's because I believe the world would be genuinely be a better place if everyone had the freedom to express themselves with clarity and authentic- authenticity. So clarity is hugely important to me. Uh, I've believe that you know from the very first days of of being a completely untrained journalist and so for me journalism was always about communicating with a mass audience in a way that was easily understood and and doing it in a way that was clear and and even it very early on in my career when I was writing about bands It was always really meaningful to me when I got a letter from a reader saying, thank you so much for your review of X-Band. You know, I went out and bought the album and you're right, it's absolutely brilliant. And just sort of connecting people to the music they love and realising that my, my way of writing was connecting with people and was in a meaningful way. So it's always about meaningful connection and that is one of my top values is is meaningful connection and at the moment the way that I live that out purposefully is through helping people find their voice in the written unspoken word and helping them find the wisdom and the treasure in their own stories
0: And that's so beautiful it it's it's lovely, and it's so refreshing to hear the clarity behind it and what I want to just pick on just for a moment is that the belief that the world would be a better place if we had the freedom to express mm. ourselves with clarity and authenticity what are the in what are the ripple effects of that happening, and also what are the dangers of that happening because it's yeah. If you're a good person at heart, then all is well. yeah, of course i'm I'm completely
1: being completely idealistic here <laughs> uh, because yeah, I mean, for some people, being clear and authentic can still mean that they have an extreme ideology. So I understand that there's a potential dark side to this, but I guess there's a, there's an, a, a strong uh, presuppos- presupposition here that people will be telling the truth and not some kind of invented reality or conspiracy theory. So there, there's, a, there's a lot to dig into behind that. So th- this, this is just the unfiltered, highest vision kind of version of, of my purpose. Um I think there's another piece to this as well though that, that maybe is is more connected to my story, which is I don't I don't like to see people suffer in silence. And if I can help other people break that silence and speak or write their truth, and um, by that I mean their emotional truth then that would make the world a better place as well. So maybe that's that's where I'm looking here rather than the rather idealistic <laughs> view that, you know, that everyone should speak clearly and with authenticity. And yeah, that, that might not make the world a better place. Um, so yeah, I think it's much more about what's your truth and finding that through your story.
0: And the the love and passion that you had when you were working as a music journalist. Mm. And mu- music is a, an incredible art form in terms of connection, meaningful connection, and and speaking the truth. And and often, the the words, the lyrics, speak to people in so many different ways because you it is very personal to the individual who's receiving it and and can be taken differently. The same with what you're doing in terms of your writing. Mm. That so everybody will be. I rephrase that all the readers that take each of your different words will then take that depending on their own personal experiences and their own beliefs and their own meanings very differently. And it's it's going to be incredible to see the diversity that comes from the response to this particular piece of work.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, that's going to be really exciting for me to see how it how other people find their words and what they write about those words and how they find their own meaning maybe in a way that they haven't done before uh, because you know what is a life without meaning is unthinkable to me because uh, I, I think I one of the things I write about in the book is having had that experience at 16 it gave me what I call early onset wisdom and i think that set me on the path to asking the question what's what does what does this mean uh, and i think that's that was a really formative experience you know so then i when i became a music journalist it was what what do the lyrics mean what does your music music mean to you and that's how i became fascinated with people and their stories and obviously that was initially through musicians so
0: yeah, so much of it is about meaning for me. Uh, uh, just saying that phrase again, again, the life without meaning is unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And this is a podcast about purpose. This is a podcast all about the focus on why it, for me, of course, it, it is a, a, a biased because uh, I'm on board. That's why <laughs> I I am in this. A pursuit of of sharing the stories from people all across the world and the way that they have all have found their own unique way of understanding life and how they give that meaning and it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your beautiful interpretation so thank you Beverly it really has been a joy how would people get in contact with you
1: So my most active social media is on LinkedIn. So you can just find me under my name, Beverly Glick. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook at I Dig Stories. Um, I also have a website, beverlyglick.com. I'd love to hear from people. Uh, You know, just on the basis of what I've said, not necessarily through the book but also what
0: are your significant words and why absolutely i i'm writing the book as you know and (laughs) i'm now going to be so much more conscious about what i put on pen to paper and 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 that's actually the i was going to ask you that question about the stream of consciousness where you just write are you writing pen to paper and then putting that typing it up so is that a process for you yeah okay i think i think that's going to be something that I I take on more going forward so thank you for that little sneaky tip there but it really has been a, a pleasure so thank you so much do you have some final words please for the listener don't ever dismiss your own
1: story your own experiences there's somebody out there who can benefit from hearing your story and even more than that you might be able to change somebody else's life for the better by sharing your story
0: How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, Focus on Why.